At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hi there, young man. Uh, hello. That's Ben's voice you just heard, and mm-hmm. my name is Matt, and hey. we co-host the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Yes, along with Christy Penley, who's not here with us today. Right. She's in class all week. She is. She's getting her D-min, her doctorate of ministry. Uh, oh, not a demon? Nope, a D-min. Okay. I tried to be very, <laughs> very careful D- about how I said that. Dot min. We should call it a D-dot min yeah. or something like that, rather than a... A demon. Speaking of doctorates, today on the podcast, not demons. We not do, not demons. We have on the podcast Doctor Jeffrey Holsclaw, Doctor of Ministry degrees. Doctor Jeffrey, yes, yeah. Jeff is a friend of ours. Uh, he and I co-pastored a church together over uh, ten years ago or so. Uh, Fifteen. Oh man, getting so old. Long time. Long time getting, ago. Speaking of young, you called me a young man. I felt I like I, was, I felt pretty good. You're about looking that, pretty good. I don't feel You're like over a young there. Man eat chickpeas. Yeah, thank you. You know. Eating my, yep, uh, chickpeas my daughter just made. We'll put the recipe in the show notes. <laughs> no, we won't do that. We're talking to Jeff today, uh, not about food or recipes, or even yeah. doctorates. We're talking to him, nope, or we're talking demons. to him about uh, brain science, and more more yeah. um, specifically, uh, attachment theory. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're actually chatting with a number of people about attachment theory because it's something that's been incredibly helpful to us and yeah. Uh, yeah. the people we train. And Jeff uh, likes to geek out on it, and he's read a lot about it. So we decided mm-hmm. to have him on and just chat about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. That, that's it basically great. it. Uh, it was a good interview. Yeah, I'm looking forward to... I just prepared for you know, one of those future interviews that you, that you mentioned um, about another another interviewee that we're, do, that we're talking with about um, yes. attachment theories and things like that. So um, there's... A, yeah, there's just tons of... Uh, Tons of the way that we relate to God uh, comes out of uh, these, you know, the kind of dynamics that attachment theory right. names, rather than the ways that we assumed it was, which was just whatever ideas I have in my head about God mm. or whatever I would circle on a theology test. Uh, that's how I relate to God, but it's just right. it's just not like that. Uh, we're as humans, we're we're wired up uh, to live from a different place, so it's yep. important stuff. Um, Hey, before we get into that, I wanted mm-hmm. to mention to our listeners and to All you, right, Matt, I'll listen. <laughs> uh, that um, as um, the pandemic, uh, at least in most parts of the United States, is winding down, 
uh, or at least uh, we're moving into a new phase where travel is possible. We are beginning again to um, host workshops for uh, leaders and for churches. And so if you're interested in uh, having us out to, uh, to host a workshop uh, in your city or at your church, um, just reach out and let us know. Podcast at gravityleadership.com. We do workshops on all kinds of different things. We've got a workshop on uh, discipleship. We've got a workshop mm-hmm. on uh, mission. Uh, we've got a workshop on the Enneagram. We've got a yes. workshop on parenting, uh, parenting and grace and truth, kind of taking one of our main tools and applying it to the world of parenting, so which uh, often feels bewildering <laughs> to me. <laughs> so yep. I need I need that workshop. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in uh, having us out, we're, we're starting to plan uh, events for the fall and even into uh, 2022, and uh, we'd be excited to come and talk to, yep. to your folks. I actually think, Matt, um, yeah. if I can say this, I actually think that um, training people live is, is one, of, it's one of our sweet spots. I think it's something that we do yep. really well. I agree. I think that a lot of people are used to having yeah. workshops that were just, there's a bunch of talking and teaching. And I think that mm-hmm. um, I love how we do more than that. There's training element to yeah. it. It's really fun. Yeah. 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 It's, but for whatever reason, it's just been a passion of ours to say, how can we, how can we make this interactive? How can we do more than just uh, throw a bunch of words, uh, impressive <laughs> sounding words yeah. uh, out there? Um, how can we make this really um, helpful, bite size yeah. for people. So, so anyway, uh, we'd love to, uh, talk to you about that. So if you, uh, are interested again, mm. just email us podcast at gravityleadership.com and, uh, we'd love to yes. see what we could do. All right. I think that's it for announcements and blurbs and yeah. such eh? that seems uh, sufficient. We're probably ready I'm to get ready. into this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, here's Jeff. Here's Dr. Jeffrey Holsclaw. Jeff Holsclaw, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. I love it. I can't quite remember the last time I was on what we were talking about. I have like multiple ones, so I wasn't sure which mm-hmm. was the last. Yeah, it's been a while. I think you were on with Sid, your wife. Yeah. Uh, maybe talking about maybe talking about your book that you wrote with Sid. Maybe that was the last time you were on. It wasn't the deconstructive series. Oh, one it might have been that years too. Ago. That was like two Sid, years ago. I think was part of that one as well. Ah, I think you're right. You You've got a better memory than I do about this stuff. And we were in your we were in your house in Michigan recording oh, that. That's remember that? right. I that's do fun. remember that. Okay, that was so that, fun. whatever we talked about on that episode was the most recent one then. Yeah, I think that was deconstruction. And that was like two years ago. So it's it's high like time it. to have you back. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know yeah. whose fault this is not having you on, but I'm gonna find him and reprimand yeah, him. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, uh, for those of our listeners who are new or who have slept since the last time we had you on, give us an update. What do you spend your time doing? Where are you? And um, yeah, all the rest. Yeah, well, currently I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I met Matt and Ben back when I was in Chicagoland. But for the last three, almost three years, I've been in Grand Rapids uh, co-pastoring. For, the position is the family and youth ministries with Sid, who's my wife, uh, at a vineyard church here. Uh, I've also been for, I don't know, seven or eight years, been teaching at... Northern Seminary, systematic theology and church and culture classes and different kind of things. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I don't know. So I'm a nerd like you guys and a pastor and trying to figure out how to make it all work together. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Jeff is um, also a good friend. He and I co-pastored 15 years ago, Jeff. <laughs> don't say that. It makes me feel old. 15 years ago. Uh, and I uh, love him like a brother. Uh, Jeff... Uh, there's a lot of things we could chat about today, but one of the things I've noticed, I'm on your, I'm on your email list. I subscribe and I, you know, read, peruse All right. your uh, weekly email. You have gotten into uh, neuroscience lately, in particular brain science and how it <clears throat> relates to uh, people who love Jesus and people who help others love Jesus. So my question is, how does a systematic theologian who also teaches cultural stuff and who pastors families... Why do you care so much about the brain? Yeah, well, I 
Well, it started off because of my wife. She was like, hey, you should learn more about this stuff. I think it'd be good for our marriage. And so when your wife tells you that, <laughs> it could be good after the first, you know, after the first kind of moments of feeling semi-offended or like, what do you mean? Something's wrong. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. So she had been a part of this group um, that was like kind of training in, it wasn't quite spiritual direction at that point, but um, and it's kind of spiritual formation, but it was this this group that was trying to connect with God uh, through mm-hmm. prayers called Emmanuel prayer. Uh, but it was doing oh, yeah. so through kind of taking brain science seriously. So uh, asking questions, well, when are we most optimally connected or available for relationships? And if we know that through science, maybe we should use that when we're trying to connect with Jesus. Mm. <laughs> Shocker, right? Mm. Or maybe we should do that when we're in worship environments. Or maybe mm. we should use some of that during our conflict resolution. So practices of finding peace, of uh, practicing gratitude, of turning on uh, what people call like the social engagement system and things like that in your brain uh, can help you kind of connect with God in the community. And so she and I started kind of learning about that stuff. This is through someone like Jim Wilder. Yeah. Um, and Friend the, of the li- podcast. Yeah. And yeah, the Life Model the Works. Oh, he's great. Yep. So uh, he kind of got us started kind of in all this stuff. And so that's kind of where I was first learning uh, about the brain uh, and aspect, pr- particularly about this aspect of God being with us. So that was kind of their main point. And then attachment mm-hmm. theory kind of comes into that because it's this whole, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. Uh, but it's this idea of, you know, being connected to God basically. Right. Which mm-hmm. Ignatian spirituality talks about quite a bit too. So I kind of went, I started taking this concept of God with us and kind of applying it to um, understanding systematic theology or how we read the Bible. And that's eventually where the book that Sid and I wrote kind of came from, which is called, does God really like me? Uh, and it, it's really focused on like joy and connection with God and how that's kind of the, the forgotten through line of scripture. So often we're talking hmm. about sin and, you know, or God's glory and judgment, all these types of things. So that was kind of the beginning. And then during that process, I was like, cause I'm a researcher, you know, I'm a doctor after all, but, Dr. I can't. <laughs> but people like to mention that I don't really help people. So <laughs> you're not the helpful kind of, yeah, doctor. yeah. I can't help. <laughs> I just research. <laughs> can't save any lives. Yeah. So because of that, I started researching all this brain science stuff. You know, I'm always like the person like you guys who like looks to the footnotes. I want like it from like mm. the source. I don't just want the distilled version of other people. So mm-hmm. I started reading like The Developing Mind by Dan Siegel. And oh, that's a good one. Alan Shore, um, Affect Regulation and the Origin of Self. I think we all got started by um, The Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. Uh, so oh, yeah. those are kind of yeah. like the gateway to this neuroscience stuff. So that's kind of how I got started. Uh, but I really, and it's been therapy for me. Uh, so I, um, I'm more cognitive than emotion. I'm more disconnected from my body, you know? Yeah. So I was like learning these things and then learning the practices of trying to reconnect and integrate. Um, hmm. so I've been, you know, neuroscience and brain science is a big category, but I've been mostly focused on like relational or interpersonal, uh, neuroscience or what is called technically interpersonal neurobiology. Ooh. Hmm. So that's kind of that's yeah. the short story. Yeah, that's great. I, I do like short stories. Uh Jeff, I wanna know what so just to be clear, you are a doctor, but not of the uh neurological or brain right. Like right, systematic variety. Deal. Yeah. Right. So we're all we're all armchair neurologists here. Um I'm I'm more of like a love seat neurologist, probably. You're more <laughs> you're you, you have a little more cred than I do in that. Um but what, what can I before we get to and we wanted to chat about one particular branch of like uh, psychology called attachment theory, because I think uh, in my limited reading and uh, perusings about attachment theory, I think it holds, and I think you do too, it holds a lot of promise and possibility for discipleship and how we relate to God mm-hmm. and how we become better humans. But um, <laughs> are you willing to share, like, once you started reading about the brain, did you get a sense of why Sid wanted you to read about it so bad? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I've always been much more like just cognitive and more um, thinking rather than feeling. Is that yeah, it? Yeah. Thinking rather than feeling. Left I was brain, trying to figure out right how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All those types of things, you know, and I think she's kind of the opposite, you know, so we were always kind of mm-hmm. pulling on different ends of the, 
the relational feeling, thinking spectrums and things like that. So, um, but it's been good. I think we've kind of worked toward the middle. Um, and, um, yeah, so yeah, for sure. Okay. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, obviously if you've gotten to like, um, marriage counseling and types of, you know, you get in touch with, and I think Matt, you know, to internal family systems and attachment theory. So this is all stuff that's in the counseling world. I just don't think it's mm-hmm. made much of an impact. It's beginning to, but it hasn't made much of an impact kind of more broadly in the discipleship kind of how do we think of church, our relationship with God kind of things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've chatted about eternal, internal family systems uh, theory on this podcast. We use it a lot in our discipleship with gravity. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering today if we could maybe focus on attachment theory. And Jeff, I know that uh, we're, we're speaking about this, not as experts. We may have some experts on uh, soon to correct everything we say wrong here, but I'm wondering <laughs> Why would as you, you do st- that? As you, <laughs> as you've studied, as you've studied you had this. a doctor on. A yes. doctor. Yeah. Have you studied what this? You what mean? What have you? What about attachment theory initially drew you in, and hmm. then maybe give us a brief like summary of what it is. Uh, oh man, now I have to go. I, outside of just kind of the the curriculum, I kind of find myself reading. I think I think it was the groups like Jim Wilder and others who um, were doing spiritual formation they're doing trauma recovery addiction recovery and trying to you know over 20 years you know starting in the, the late 90s you know mm-hmm. some these groups of people carl layman uh, and others were doing like regular counseling uh, and then where you kind of go after the trauma or you mm-hmm. kind of go after the bad behavior and you try to change it and fix it and over a long amount of time and learning more about like implicit kind of memory systems and internal working models and these types of things is they kind of came to the place that well, instead of going after the trauma uh, and kind of having people grapple with it, what if we just helped people experience God and then like in a directed prayer time or kind of a visualization or something like that, and then just ask Jesus, what does he want this person to know about that event? And so it kind of, you know, it's kind of making, you know, Jesus or Holy Spirit kind of like the counselor and the, the director and these types of things. And they found that if they actively worked toward what would be called like a secure attachment with God or some sort of relational connection with God, that either the trauma pain point would just stop feeling as traumatic um, or that somehow it would find a resolution. And so there's this, so, so it's really they were kind of pressing toward an understanding of having God as your secure kind of attachment figure uh, and then working through all whatever issues, whether it's addiction or trauma or type of thing, and then seeing what happens that way instead of doing the reverse, which is, well, let's go after these kind of things and then just have God kind of be floating around there. So that's, I think through that process that, you know, Sid, you know, started me on mm-hmm. um, that's, and then I just kind of followed the reading list um, on that way. And, and that direction is much more, um, emotion focused so there is kind of two branches when it comes to brain science there's the more cognitive sciences side which is how we process information how are the symbols linguistic kind of like all this stuff and then there's the more what is called the effective um, or the emotional side which is basically they kind of argue like whatever information is happening is because you have relational interests at play whether you know it or not hmm. and those relational interests are creating emotional responses that you've been trained in certain ways to regulate those, like those are called internal working models. Uh, and so I'm much more both because I need more of that in my life, but I think, I think it's right. Like, I think, uh, I, I think, I think they're right to say that like the emotional socio relational connections are what drive the world. Um, so we need to start there. So that's kind of, so then I think attachment theory kind of basically starts there. Um, uh, and then the other kind of, you know, psychologies and things kind of flow from there. So that's yeah. kind of, that was my interest. Or yeah. Yeah. And you used, you used one of the, uh, technical terms or Jeff, if you will, terminus technicus. Oh, we went Latin. Or is that just, or <laughs> just is that, that for you? That, made up Latin. Is that Ted? That's not, is that that's not that's true. That's Ted Latin. Uh, he's, uh, he's trying to impress the doctor. <laughs> your grade will um, not be affected by using Latin in your paper, Matt. I did bring you an apple emoji. <laughs> um, Jeff, uh, 
use the phrase secure attachment, and that comes out of attachment theory. Maybe you, could you tell us what secure attachment is? And then I know there's uh, other attachments like chaotic, disorganized, uh, et cetera. Could you then maybe give us a brief understanding of, of how then secure attachment is differentiated from those? Yeah. So, uh, well, let's back up to just what is attachment. What is the attachment system? So the attachment system, uh, as some would talk about it, uh, is kind of this instinctual urge to connect um, between caregivers and child. And so this is basically a survival mechanism that yeah. uh, human children are basically vulnerable, helpless, more helpless than just about any other primates, uh, certainly more than just regular uh, kind of mammals, right? And so we have to have this instinctual urge for connection. And that connection with the caregiver um, is so that the caregiver can be a safe haven and a secure base. So those are kind of the technical terms. The mm. safe haven is that the caregiver gives care and offers security. So at the most basic level, that would be uh, to provide warmth for a baby and infant, keep them wrapped, provide food when they need, help them regulate their sleep. So that's safe haven. Then when the children get a little bit older and particularly when they become mobile, um, is that the attachment figure would be the secure base, which is the children would have confidence to go out into the world to explore different objects and then check back in with the adult, with the caregiver, to know that they're still safe, that the kind of the world hasn't changed drastically. So this is kind of the, the idea of why do children want, especially young children, want to show adult stuff all the time. That's part of this attachment process. Hmm. It's not just that they made something and they want to show you. They're also being like, hey, is this a thing that you enjoy? Is this a thing that you're excited about? Because if you're excited about it, then I'm going to continue being excited about it. But if you're if you're disgusted by it, then I'm going to learn how to be disgusted by it too. Or I'm by the fire and I think it's really cool. But then I look at you and you have this look of terror. So now I, I learned that terror should be associated with fire, right? So there's this whole social kind of process that is happening constantly um, in this attachment system where the children, the caregiver are so then, at work. So then attachment theory is, is, is how do we name what we observe and experience as humans? How do we put language and frames around this dynamic, this process that's automatically happening? Right. So attachment theory is just basically saying it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of an advancement on the Freudian psychoanalysis, which, you know, every child's problem is because of the mother. Right. That's kind of like the the bad, you know, Freudian kind of view. And this says, well, no, that's everything bad is not because of the mother or good or whatever. But there is a vital relationship. So a secure attachment is basically when the caregiver is available and attuned to the needs of the child. Uh, so when the child needs help, the caregiver will give help. When the child is feeling independent, then their caregiver won't intrude or take over. Uh, so that's what it means to be attuned. When you need help, I'll give help. When you don't need help, I'll let you kind of learn and do your own thing so you can find your limits. And when you hit your limits and you're afraid, then I'll step in and I'll be a secure base again. So there's this kind of give and take, which is called attunement. Um, so a secure a secure attached child will have a caregiver who's available and attuned. And what will happen is they'll create an internal working model of self of others and the world, which is something like uh, other people are available and helpful. Uh, the world um, is an opportunity for exploration. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of different layers, but basically ruptures can be repaired in this world that I live in. If there's a problem, a solution will present itself eventually. So it's a slightly more optimistic view of the world. And then the view of the self is I have agency or I can contribute to this world. When I cry, a caregiver will come and help me. When I want to play with this ball, I'm allowed to play this ball. Uh, mm -hmm. When I steal stuff, but when I steal stuff from my brother, the caregiver says no, and then I have to learn to respect boundaries, right? So you have these, so you have this, the world, the self, and others. And so people call that like the primary, secure attachment is called like the primary attachment strategy, which is when you have an attuned and available caregiver, you have this strategy that develops, which is optimistic about the world, believe that the self can affect change in the world, and that others are available to help in the world. And so that mm -hmm. would be like the primary strategy. How was that? I've never really sat down and yeah. explained it to other people like that before. This is like based off of all the stuff yeah. that I'm. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is that uh, attachment or attunement is uh, something that humans need to flourish and thrive, learn their limits, learn their boundaries, learn confidence, 
uh, it sounds to me too like it's one of the bases for people to have a a positive sense of self and safety in the world, meaning mm. that um, that the world isn't primarily this place of of danger or or unpredictability, but um, I have a modicum of dominion or autonomy or agency in the world, and I I know how to employ that. I know what my limits are. I know what to say yes and what to say no to. And that's all communicated relationally to us, is what attachment theory would say. Yeah? Right, right. And that's not just through the parents, but it could be through a group of caregivers. Um, it's usually through, you know, the primary caregiver. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and children are smart, too, and they can figure out, you know, if there's like a grandma who is more available than their mom, right? Then yes. Th- so there's multiple attachment relationships. Yeah, when I was a youth pastor, I had this um, this retired youth pastor tell me, he's like, I'm just going to give you one piece of advice. I said, what's that? And he said, kids will gravitate towards the oldest adult who will take them seriously. Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? <laughs> that's really good. And I think what he was saying is basically what what we're describing with attachment theory. Like, if if you provide a safe, secure place for kids to be seen and known and accepted Mm. and safe, then they will want to be with you because we're wired, we're made for that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, so then we all get secure attachments in childhood, right? Uh, Great. This has been great having you on the podcast, (laughs) Jeff. That's what I heard. That's what I heard you say. Well, unfortunately, um, (laughs) many parents parent out of their own insecure attachment and pass that Mm. on. Uh, you know, the Bible could yeah. call that generational sin or something like that, but uh, not to bring <laughs> theology or the Bible and all this. Hey, hey, <laughs> but, careful. Yeah. So that's the primary attachment strategy. So then, you know, through a lot of experiment, you know, 50 years of experimentation and just like doing tests and things, there's kind of two second, what are called secondary strategies, which mm-hmm. are if, um, if I'm an infant and I'm crying out, and my needs aren't getting met. I'm not getting fed, or I'm not. No one's. Com- I'm scared, and no one's comforting me. My caregiver is not available, or something like that. I have to. Com- I have to create a new strategy, right? Because just dying is not an option, you know. So kids figure out how to survive. So I think because um, the other attachment strategies can feel very kind of negative, and um, you know, and they do kind of have negative life outcomes. But we have to remember, and this is part of the self-compassion, is that these were strategies that were developed to cope with a less than optimal situation. So either my caregiver wasn't there, um, I was abandoned, or, you know, like maybe, you know, and it could be. Maybe I grew up with an alcoholic or an angry parent, and so things were dangerous, or I could never know what to expect. Yes, right. And so so there's kind of two general attachment strategies that end up developing, um, and they kind of come with different names. So one would be the kind of anxious or the what are called distracted. Uh, and then the other one would be more of the avoidant or the dismissive kind of strategy. And that's basically, and this goes back to the, the um, emotional information I was talking about. It's basically a way of figuring out how to do with, I'm over, I'm a child and I'm overwhelmed by a situation. My so, environment or external or internal. Yeah. 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 Uh, internal first, right. Cause I'm crying. I have yes. like an emotional overload. So what am I, what am I going to do? Well, the dismissive mm. strategy basically says, I'm going to turn off all the inputs in my brain and my body that tell my brain and my body that I'm distressed, overwhelmed, frustrated, angry, sad, or afraid uh, because I can't live in perpetual over- emotional overwhelm. Uh, so the long-term strategy from small children you know, to larger children, then to adolescence and adulthood is basically I'm constantly ignoring the internal inputs that say that I'm distressed. But the, what that means is I also ignore all the in relational emotional information coming from other people because mm-hmm. I don't want to activate my attachment system because activating my attachment system didn't hurts. get me anything Makes or it hurts. Mind. Right. So I learned for whatever reason that activating my attachment system hurts, doesn't get me anything. So I need to be a singular self disconnected from other people. And so, mm-hmm. and so other people are not available and not helpful. So I've learned and this is where, um, like the implicit memories or why do people do these things that they do? You know, they don't want to do these things. It's like, well, you've been trained your brain, your neural pathways are literally ignoring emotional inputs inside yourself and inside other people. You can't read mm. faces like your brain has been trained to deprioritize all that input 
and it's been trained to prioritize cognitive linguistic input. I will follow yes. rules. I will. The world is a strict cause and effect. If my dad is angry, I might get beaten. So therefore, I'm going to hide in my room. Like the world is a very strict causal world. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to follow those rules. And so you get very legalistic people <clears throat> who are dismissive of emotional content. And they wonder why, you know, people get so overwhelmed and freaked out and cry a lot. And they're like frustrated that we can't just, you know, get on with life and things like that. So that's one secondary strategy or what is called an insecure attachment. Insecure. I also heard you call it dismissive. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's the variant. The whole kind of umbrella is insecure, but yeah. So it's a dismissive or uh, avoidant because you're avoiding or you're dismissing attachment kind of signals out in the world. And I want to just highlight something you said real quick. These people that um, tend to not seek attachments with others, it's not that they uh, want to or um, don't want to, but what I heard you say is that their brains actually lack the capacity to do so, and it's something that they habituated themselves into. So it's not like a volitional, willful ch- like choice, but rather it's this conditioned, habitual response to anything that, um, just to life, right? Right. It, yeah, it's a survival strategy that came out of your childhood that you know probably doesn't serve your relational needs very well currently, but it came out of an understandable place either. Maybe, you know, maybe an adult, maybe your one of your parents died unexpectedly, and then their surviving mm-hmm. parent was working and trying to raise multiple children. These weren't available. Uh, mm-hmm. So, right, so it doesn't always have to be like an outwardly abusive, it could just be neglected or it could just be a tragic kind of situation. Avoidance, cut off, shut down. Yeah, and I think I've heard uh, Brene Brown say this. Um, If if it's not her, uh, forgive forgive us, Brene. I know you listen to the podcast. (laughs) Um, And she says something about like this, these kinds of strategies at one point in our life were really helpful to us. Mm-hmm. And they were they were the best we could do at the time to figure out how to survive. Yeah. And so the problem isn't that they're just the problem isn't that they're wrong. The 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 issue is more more appropriately, this was the best I could do at the time, mm-hmm. but now the solution has stayed around longer than its benefits to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Which is the compassion you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a maladapted behavior. It's, you know, it was good, you know, it, because for a three-year-old, right. Yeah. It's all you can do, right. For, for an 18 month year old, for a three-year-old, like these are like, you know, I survived or like I got through, yeah. you know, like I can't just cry my head I protected off for myself eight yeah. hours at a time. Like I need to, you know, figure something else out. <laughs> I just yeah. need to play by myself. You know, I got to figure something out. So that's mm-hmm. how, you know, that strategy kind of works. Uh, right. And that's primary. So that's primarily when a caregiver then would be for whatever reason, um, reject outwardly rejecting or unavailable. So like more of yeah. an abandoned. So you're Neglection, kind of getting, yeah. you're getting the signals that like you're crying right now is a bother or you're mm-hmm. such a pain or, mm-hmm. and so you're kind of getting the outward rejection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for me, what this has done pastorally is it helps me understand myself, but it helps me understand yeah. other people and be yeah. like, you know, they don't actually want to be that way, or they don't even know they're being that way. And there's probably kind of a good reason that they're acting this way. So even mm-hmm. though I'm like really frustrated or annoyed, or why won't they ever call me back? Or when we hang out, we can never talk about anything important or whatever. Or all we do is talk about ideas. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I was, I was out with, well, anyway, I, we could all tell Zians and stories that kind of fit this model. So, but it, it has helped, you know, it, it helps with that idea of people sin, not because they choose sin, but because they've been trained into sin. And I think that that is, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, I keep hearing from pastors uh, almost weekly, and I keep hearing my own voice tell me <laughs> daily uh, just how kind of worn out and tired and oh, yeah. messy and fatigued and discouraged, you know, content. I mean, just all the, all the superlatives about how hard ministry is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, we had Matt Alexander on the podcast several, uh, weeks ago talking about mm-hmm. his new, uh, initiative leading these soul care cohorts. And, um, we decided we wanted 
to let our listeners know about them. So, mm-hmm. uh, can I can I tell you about them, Ben? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I remember I remember this episode, and I remember thinking I could use a soul care cohort myself. Yeah. So yeah, what what are they all about? Well, Matt is uh, leading soul care cohorts. Um, he's starting one this fall for ministry mm-hmm. leaders who want to grow in their health and wholeness. And it's 10 sessions long. Um, it works through topics like emotional health, uh, relational health, spiritual health, physical health, mental health, and vocational health. It's kind of a whole life sort of look and um, like wellness check. Um, hmm. And you can learn more about the next Soul Care cohort by checking out the interest form in the show notes of this here podcast episode. Those sound great, Matt. <laughs> it does sound great, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. We uh, heartily recommend you all check it out. Yep. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I think one of the things that's been that I'm hearing you talk about that's been really helpful for me in the last few years and thinking about my own, you know, failures and sins and that kind of thing. It's helped me to have some compassion for myself and for others to realize that all of us are are all of us are for the most part trying to find something good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're like as kids we're just trying to survive. And so it's like, well this is too painful to like reach out for attachment and not to get it. And so I, you know, I'm going to find a way to do this. I'm going to find a way to live, you know, I'm going to find a way to, to make it through. So there's this like, I don't know, there's this compa- this baseline compassion that's been really helpful for me to say like, oh yeah, yeah. everybody's just, everybody's kind of just trying to do their best to like get good <laughs> things for themselves and for those that they love. And we're just like sadly misguided, but right. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. all trying to do. So, so- so Jeff, you said that's one of the that's one of the attachment styles. That's not secure. Are there? I know there's at least one other. Yeah. Well, there's technically two more, but the um, the, the most common are, are these others. So the other one. So if the one we just talked about, the dismissive, is to kind of disengage your attachment system. The other one would be to like double down on it. So mm. I'm going to figure out uh, for an inattentive uh, caregiver, I'm going to figure out how to make them pay attention to me. I'm going to figure it out. And so then you kind of hyperactivate your attachment system, which I am super duper relationally connected. I'm scanning the environment for my attachment figure to figure out exactly how to make them pay attention to me. Because when I cry, um, I don't get what I need. But when I hit my sister, they pay attention to me. Or uh, when I cry with the really loud cry, then, the, you know, so you just, you're constantly trying to figure out how to get the attention. So that becomes more what sometimes it's called anxious or the distracted kind of um, attachment, secondary attachment style where you're okay. um, you're basically looking at the other person to give you all the needs. And long-term what happens is you, you end up kind of creating a, a helpless hmm. sense of self is that only hmm. other people can help me. I can't help myself. Whereas the other person is, um, I have to help myself because other people will never help me. So I will always take care of myself. This is kind of the reverse style, which is um, if I can just attune to them enough, then I'll get what I need rather than yeah. believing that they're supposed to attune to me because they're the caregiver, they're the adult, right? So that's where you get situations where you have reverse parenting, where you have the kids parenting the adult, where uh, so instead of just running away and hiding, it's kind of like, well, if I give my dad a back rub, then he won't get drunk or he won't, you know, yeah. Mom, mm-hmm. or if I if I clean the kitchen really well, then mom won't get angry and yell at me. So you learn all the things that other people want you to do so that then you can yes. feel secure in your connection with them and then they'll give you some of the attention. And so the, the parental um kind of style then is is called distracted. So 
parents will sometimes be attuned and available, but then sometimes not. And the kid never knows when. So it's an unreliable attention and it's an unreliable attunement rather than an outright rejection, which would be more of a dismissive side. So this would be like parents who um, take care of their kids as a reflection on themselves. So they're good to their kids when friends are over and they're really playful and they're attentive because they want the in-laws to know that they're a good mom or dad. Mm. But then when those in-laws are gone, then they're like neglecting. So then the kid's like, wait, I don't get it. Sometimes you play with me, sometimes you don't, or sometimes you're taking care of me and sometimes you don't. So the kids are very kind of, confused about what it takes to get your attention. So that's why they become like what is called hypervigilant in relationships. So that happens in romantic relationships. You get the nervous person is, you know, are they really into me? Uh, are they cheating on me? I'm very jealous. I'm insecure. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Um, trying to figure out how to keep the connection kind of, so that'd be the much more hot relational kind of energetic, passionate, romantic relational type. Whereas the dismissive would be much, much more cold and yeah. disconnected and things like that. So that's kind of just the, the the second one of the other secondary attachment styles. Yeah. So there's secure attachment, which is like, um, you know, I, I feel I feel good about my needs are going to be met uh, when I have them in, in in essence. And then then when my needs are not met, two of the major categories of style are mm-hmm. one is to shut off these inputs so I don't feel this pain. Mm-hmm. And and basically just try to convince myself that I I don't need people, um, which it's, are, it's useless to feel this pain. Yeah, What's that? You, you can call that like the the flight kind of option. Yeah, flight. I'm going to flee from the, the pain of this uh, mm-hmm. of this attachment um, desire that's not being met. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the fight, maybe. Yeah. No. The well, fight. That's kind of how I was interpreting. I haven't heard anyone quite say it that way, but yeah. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't. Hmm. Maybe, maybe we're waiting again. We need. Uh, I think we're, to call pine- some we're other pioneering. Actually. Okay, here we go. Pioneer. <laughs> Sounds good. I like that word. No, but um, but yeah. So the other option is to like double down on like, all right. Well, if like, I'm gonna I'm gonna create drama. So one one kid is the quiet kid who plays well by himself. That everybody thinks, oh, that doesn't need much. And the other kid is the problem child who is uh, hitting his sister or, yeah, I mean, creates drama in order to sort of try to find that attachment. I mean, that, that in general. Yeah, I mean, that's, right? that's I mean, one way. Another way would be, you know, the people-pleasing child, which I'm just going to be the perfect, oh, I'm yeah. the okay. perfect helper. I will always clean up my room to make sure that I get all the stars. I'm the perfect students. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, there's lots of different ways that these kind of, uh, styles can play out because yeah, a, a dismissive okay. could could also be the bully, right? <laughs> you know, I'm just going to like dominate everybody because I don't care. Uh, mm. So you can't really attach specific behavior. And I know okay. you probably talked about the Enneagram too. It's like you can't mm. always attach specific behaviors to a type, right. uh, but it's the motivation. It's the right. either I'm trying to keep people at a distance because being vulnerable and dependent on others threatens me and I want to be independent right. and separated. Hmm. Or yeah. it's uh, I feel kind of helpless and out of sorts unless I'm around somebody who's inputting my self-esteem or affirmation or literally helping me uh, and things mm. like that. So I'm constantly on the lookout. Yeah. 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 So it's more of less of a description of behavior and more of a description of an strategy. internal emotional process yeah. right. and strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff, I, I, you've already referenced a little bit how this can be helpful just for self-understanding, you know? Yeah. Self-knowledge. I'm sure uh, our listeners, as you're describing these, I don't know, these different uh, styles, they're called attachment styles, um, that maybe they're identifying themselves or their loved ones or even their kids, right? And they're like, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're like me, you're beating yourself up for being on Instagram at dinner. But um, (laughs) uh, also, so pastorally, I think you get a bit insight into why people are the way they are. But for you as a systematic theologian, for you as somebody who wants to understand God and God's story and apply, like, like take bring theology into the church, wh- um, why is this particularly helpful for you to understand discipleship and theology and our formation? Well, I think, one, the more I've read about neuroscience, brain science, relational, all this stuff, the more I felt like, oh, you know, the ancient people aren't dumb. Um, <laughs> and so like the spiritual classics, you know, Desert Fathers, especially I think like uh, Ignatius of Loyola, like others, you know, you're just like a lot of these spiritual practices really align with the, you know, a lot of mm. current science. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's been really 
you know, fun and interesting on the spiritual formation side to say, oh, like this stuff works for a reason. Um, theologically, you know, I kind of do bring this to my reading of scripture and understanding uh, like secure base, safe haven, you know, reading the Psalms, you know, people are like in distress and they're calling out for God to be a refuge or a rock, you know? So like, I think there's all these kind of metaphors in scripture where you're like, Oh, like this is filling these attachment needs or this attachment to stress mm-hmm. that, you know, people want um, or they need. Uh, and, and then particularly, I just like this week, I'm just thinking through like, what is the Lord's prayer? You know, when you think about these attachment needs and calling God our father, you know, all these types of things. So, so that's, that's been really helpful. And especially kind of learning, uh, thicker emotional language and reading that into scripture. I remember, I don't remember if you were there, uh, Matt, but at life on the vine, there was a particular gentleman who would always read scripture angry. It was as if (laughs) Jesus or the Psalms or God's voice was not angry. is not quite right, but it was stern. It was like, God was always Mm. stern. Like every, every tone or inflection uh, coming out of the Bible was like stern. And I was like, how much do we, Mm. interpret the Bible in our own devotional life by hearing tone of voice in the passages where Jesus is telling a parable, because if he has a stern tone of voice, when he's telling a parable, you're going to be like, Oh yeah, that one's like, it's all about judgment. You know, it's like, but if you read it with like a playful, a joking, or even kind of a, a loving kind of empathetic tone, you'd read some of these parables very different. So, so it's things like that where I'm trying to read and imagine scripture through the, mm. kind of this emotional, relationally laden kind of lens, yeah. uh, which attachment figure, but you know more broadly, just relational neuroscience has, has been like giving me, and I just find that's like super helpful. And in thinking through, um, yeah, how is Jesus relating to his disciples? Mm. What are their anxieties? You know, uh, and I don't think it's super great to kind of type. You know, just like the enneagram, you're not supposed to type other people. You know, without you know sure. knowing them intimately, and right. that's not. Yeah. But it is at, but at least okay. out loud. Yeah, true, true. Right. Um, but it is kind of helpful to kind of ask these kind of questions like, you know, like, are they more of this kind of mind frame? And um, it's, so like, I was, um, I preached on the restoration of Peter just after Easter. Um, yeah. And I kind of had this kind of category of like, why did Jesus ask Peter these questions three times? Right. You know, and Peter even says, Lord, you know, all things. Right. And it's like, well, Jesus asked him three times because Peter didn't believe things about himself. It wasn't for Jesus' sake. It was for, you know, Peter needed to be restored in his own mind because he didn't need to be told that Jesus still loves him. He needed to remember that he is still lovable or that he, and not even just lovable. Come on, preacher. But but this is where the safe haven and the secure base for me comes in is people need two messages at all times, I believe, which is that you're safe and you belong, but that you can contribute. And that was part of Peter's restoration. You blew it, but you Mm -hmm. can still contribute to this kingdom coming to earth. You can still contribute to the world. You having blown it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you can't offer anything. And so, so that's, that's one kind of message, but for maybe more of the kind of anxious, uh, kind of hyperactive, but then other people need to be reminded you need other people. You need to ask for help. And so like Mm -hmm. for me, this attachment kind of insecure attachment styles, these two avoidant or uh, anxious or dismissive or um, distracted, it kind of helps me preach differently because I always want to say two things like in a sermon or even a pastoral situation. If I have like a multiple kind of a mixed group of people. I don't know where they're coming from, but they almost need to hear two different things. Mm, One is you have agency Mm -hmm. and you can contribute to the world. You're not helpless. You're not Mm. ignored. You, you, you can do something. So let's Mm. help you know how to do that. The other, other side is you need to ask for help or you need to believe that people can help you, or you need to believe that you belong here. Well, everybody yes. needs to be told that they can belong, right? But I, sure. I think it's that kind of like, you know, yeah, so some, I don't know. How does that sound have, to you guys? Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, this this is a, a key part of our training is actually yes. we, we train people in noticing these kind of three, I can't remember what you call them. Um, he said, but we he said safe, belong, yeah. and have right. something to contribute. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the three ne- the three needs, we talk, we talk about security, belonging, and significance right. as like everybody needs to know. And a lot of us get into sin 
because we we're, we're looking for those things or we're insecure about whether we have those things and we're trying to make sure that we have those things or guard our hearts against the pain of not getting those things. You know what I mean? Like all these things, but at, at the baseline level, those are the, like the pieces of good news that we need to hear is that you are safe, that you belong and that you matter. You have something to contribute. Like your, your gifts matter here. Um, right. And, well, and like you're saying, Jeff, like we all have those needs, but some <clears throat> of them feel more acute to some of us at certain times than other times. And it's right. important to pay attention to that. Right. And you know what I'm talking about, these are all things on a, like a spectrum or a continuum, right? So it's not For like sure. you're either all dismissing or you're totally secure or you're yeah, all right, avoided, right. right? You kind of, you kind of rotate in and out of them and you, uh-huh. um, you know, so I, <clears throat> you know, people who know me are like, ah, I don't know, Jeff, but I, I'm, I'm on the, I'm more securely attached than people probably think. I don't um, know, Jeff, but, yeah, Jeff right. I'm <laughs> <be> serious. <laughs> but I tend toward like the dismissive range and other okay. people could yeah. be securely attached, but in stress or, or given like a certain relationship, yeah. like when I'm around my siblings, like I just revert to anxiously yeah. attached or something like that, or given a situation where we're dealing yeah. with finances or a big decision, like yeah. I just go, whoop, I slide in. Yeah. And, and I don't think it exactly matches, but like, it's, you know, it, this maps onto like the grace and truth kind of matrix that you guys talk about where, you know, mm. like the people who are more um, kind of dismissive will be in the truth, in the kind of call out kind yeah. of the world yeah, works totally. according to certain laws and we need to stand firm on just, them. Just and get truth it right. is important. Figure it out. Let's yeah. get the information. Information changes the world. Uh, and then the people who are more kind of distracted or anxious yes. will be in the kind of the, the hangout. Let's just, let's just manage the relationships. Let's just make sure mm-hmm. we're okay. Make sure and emotions mad. and relationships are most important. And, you know, we kind of fudge on the truth or like, we don't really need to do anything, you know? And then the, or I could, or I could never tell them how I really feel. Yeah. They like, can't you know, handle the truth. Things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all about them. And I don't mm-hmm. know who I am anymore. Uh, but you know, like the, the call in, you know, that'd be more of the kind of secure and, and people, mm. some people have said, and I, I kind of lean this way is a secure attachment isn't the best word for it. It's more of a balanced one and it's balanced between mm. cognitive and emotional information is I can, um, I'm balanced between understanding my own, uh, cognitive and emotional information that's coming out of my body and my memory and my brain and what am I perceiving in the world. And I'm balanced in how I receive information from other people. So people who are anxiously or distractedly attached will prioritize emotional information. Uh, what is your body saying to me? What are your eyes doing? Uh, what's your facial expression? Yes. To the extreme version, which is, I don't even know what you said but you said something and it was angry. Right. And then on the other, the dismissive side, it's, and this has kind of been shown dismissive people will look left brain. People will look at the mouth more. They'll ignore eyes when you're talking with people and they're prioritizing the cognitive information and they will just totally disregard body posture, uh, facial expressions. Right. So your brain is literally Mm -hmm. prioritizing or not prioritizing different types of information. So balanced or secure attachment would be, I I'm able at my best, you know, no one's always at their best, but at my best, I'm able to kind of handle all this information coming at me, coming from my body and try to integrate it and believe that there's creative solutions for whatever problems are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other kind of attachment strategies will kind of not, will won't do that. Totally. So that would be the more call in, right? So yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go, man. I, I appreciate that little integration <laughs> there with one of our key tools. <clears throat> If you'd like to find out more, you can join the Gravity <laughs> Leadership Academy cohort. Just a little Wait, I thought if you plugged. wanted to find more, you would start listening to the Jeff Foles Club being with podcast. Well, well let's talk about that Let's do that, too. Let's do that, too. My internal uh, information is telling me we need to wrap up. Uh, my external <laughs> uh-huh. information, as I look uh-huh. at your body, posture, and face, Jeff, leads me to believe you'd like to chat about uh, your podcast. No, tell us about <laughs> what's going on uh, with your podcast and your excellent newsletter and all that. Well, you know... Probably about every two or three months, I'm always like, and this is not an exclamation. It's a prayer. But I'm usually like, Jesus, why am I studying all this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just asking, like, why? Outside of my own personal curiosity, like, why? But, uh, you know, I just feel like it's kind of my calling right now. I don't know. So (laughs) so I've just been reading all this stuff for several years. uh, And then I was just like, well, why don't I? It'd be kind of niche. And some of my friends were like, this is a very niche topic. It's like, I know. I'm just going to start a podcast on neuroscience, spiritual formation, and faith. And just kind of 
interview and connect with people who are like taking all this stuff seriously and just, you know, get to know people, have conversations. So it's called the being with podcast, being with on neuroscience, spiritual formation and faith. And you can find it in all the places that's actually on YouTube and Spotify and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of one of the projects I'm involved in. Well, then you also have, have a newsletter. How do we sign up for that? Tell us how to tell us how to sign so up. So if you go to my, my site, Jeffrey Holesclaw.net, that's Jeffrey with a G, G E O F F R E Y. But only my mom calls me Jeffrey. So Jeffrey Holesclaw.net. Uh, and there's a sidebar, there's a sign up, things like that. So, uh, but yeah, that's where I kind of blog about neuroscience, but also politics and theology. So I'm trying to create like a, what I'm calling like a grassroots Christianity, which is like faith hmm. for like everyday people where I'm hmm. taking my seminary classes and trying to bring it more down to just something manageable for everybody. So. That's awesome. Love it. We need more of that. Yep. Um, I, I, I trust that you had important things to say after you said this, but when you said niche, I, I just, I blocked out because it's, uh, niche is one of those words that uh, if you were to is pronounce it, it's it's technically niche, yeah, but when you say niche, you sound like pretentious in a mm-hmm. in a way. So you, it's like uh, when we say genre, that's not really how you're supposed to say that. It's like genre, <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds so pretentious, right? But then I go right to Star Trek. I was like Jean Luc Picard. What? Yeah, right. Exactly. So anyway, uh, I was Star thinking Trek. about. Right, I do think it it has become though enough. You know, this is how languages work. Uh, that has become. Uh, parlance, common parlance enough that in most dictionaries, I think you find two pronunciations. One is niche and the other is niche. So okay. it's become uh, common enough, Matt, that uh, well, so, we can safely just say niche. So are you saying irregardless of how we pronounce irregardless it? Irregardless of what I'm others... I'm just saying that this ending of this podcast has been a, a niche, niche detour. All right, Jeff, oh thanks gosh. for joining us, man. Uh, we miss you. Yeah. It's, it's fun to be with you. Oh, for sure. Well, thanks for having me on. I hope this is kind of I hope it helps people. It helps me. Yeah, I I, th- I think it will. It great. helps me. I I have shown uh, magnanimous restraint to not tell stories of all the people with attachment disorders that I could think of on this podcast. I just want you to know Herculean. But we'll have to. We're going to talk more about attachment theory. I think it's vitally important for how we understand our connection with God, but also each other. And yeah. this integration piece between our internal and external worlds, or if you will, left and right and hemispheres. I know it's a little more complicated yeah, than that. Yeah. But there's an integrating of the human being. There's a wholeness of yeah. humanity yeah. in order for us to live holiness in the kingdom. And yeah, so man. this is this is great. Um, thanks so much, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe I'll have you guys on. Ooh. Let's do it. Maybe we can talk about it. You'll be on my show. All right. That's right. I've got, I've got like... 16 different directions that my thoughts went that I, I want to keep exploring. Um, I think, I think maybe on especially as it has to be how we imagine our attachment to God and how that affects the way that we read scripture. I think all of that, you, you just told a little anecdote about that, but that's totally fascinating to me. Can we, pa- so. can we pause? Can we keep going? Cause this, this is like a bugaboo of mine. Jeff, do you have like two more, three more minutes? I'm good. I'm fine. <clears throat> so like, uh, so there's two, I think there's two anxieties latent in Western Christianity. The first is, the more we study science, the less we'll need God. So if you can explain all this stuff with brains and neurons and synapses, then you won't need the Holy Spirit. Second. False. All, Short answer. All, all of this. <laughs> wait, the quiz. Took care of that one. Good. Western society will be fine. Yeah. Jeff I thought said we'd it's need three okay. minutes, but we didn't need that. No, and, the, and the second is, uh, Ben, like how we imagine God. I think I yeah. was formed in such a modernist epistemology, a rationalism, mm-hmm. that uh, immediately, like this, this small part in, you know, in the recesses of my brain goes, it doesn't matter how you imagine God. Mm. It matters who God is, actually, real. Objectively, right. not your subjective imagination. And so there's two things. One, like imagination is dangerous yeah. because it's not as real or true as rationality. Yeah. And two, our imagination doesn't matter. Yeah. So, uh, Holsclaw, <laughs> help us out. Because both those things were bumping around as I was trying to wrap this sucker up. And now I feel like I'm a little cranked up. Yeah, well, th- that's where... Um the internal working models, I think, become really important is that we have internal work based on our attachment strategy. We have internal working models of self, others in the world. Mm. And it's just it's hard to believe that we don't project that onto God as we 
Right. Read the Spoiler, Bible. We learn do. theology. Yeah. yeah. There's no other way to think <clears throat> about God. Right. And so we don't have any other faculty besides a working model, right? Right. We're already doing it. We're already imagining God. Even if that God that we imagine is supposedly the objective truth about God, that's an imagination about God. Right. 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 Okay. So, Sorry to interrupt but, you. But there is, I mean, our, our internal working models can change. And this is where having yeah. an earned secure attachment, if you're an insecure attachment, can happen and things like that. So ob- these things change. You know, like you're not just programmed from childhood and then it's just set. Right. But too bad. it is at, well, too bad only if you have a secure attachment. Too bad for you, bad parents. <laughs> Speak for yourself, man. I grew up with <laughs> awful attachments. It, well, just as a quick, you can actually revert from a secure attachment to insecure attachment if you have mm. later life trauma and abuse oh. or things. Like, so it's not it's not an all for one static. forever. It's not static. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, but but so people have, have started doing research, and I'm just getting into this, where they'll talk about a correspondence or a compensation model for how we view God. Like, does he correspond to our internal working model or does he compensate for the gaps that we have in oh, our internal working model? Interesting. And how conversion or things like that kind of fit yeah. in those. But I think that there is, so we just have to acknowledge that I think a lot of people, shocker, spoiler alert, project their unhealthy attachment worldview onto God yeah. and then manage to only find those pieces of scripture that affirm that. Yeah. Um, and it can go both ways, which could be a really stern, um, you know, law-giving, kind of rule-following God who expects justice and is going to punish yeah. you if you break the rules. But it can also be the very kind of um, God's in and out. Like, he's dodgy. Like, I don't know where to find him. He's unreliable. Sometimes I pray and he's there. Sometimes he's not. And then you read scripture. And, uh, yeah, the exile. Like, God, you know, kicked out his whole people because yeah, he wanted yeah. to. What he's, was he doing for 400 right, years? Jesus is in and out. He's so confusing. Uh, so, like... I think it's both attachment styles. So, yeah. Um, so that's yeah. That's so like yeah. When, so we find we find stuff in scripture that seems to affirm that, and we think, oh, this is my objective view of God now. Or we read <clears throat> we read tone into scripture, like, and again, we can't help but read tone, right? Um, right. We're like when right. Jesus says to the disciple, I'm thinking of uh, after the storm on the lake. I'm preaching on this in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. After the storm on the lake, uh, and he and he saves them. Um, he tell he asked them. I think this is in the story. Why did you doubt? Right. You disbelieving generation. You disbelieving generation. Right. Right. I mean, tone makes so much difference. And like, <clears throat> why did you doubt? Like that could be taken as like Jesus trying to help them. This is using our language again, but Jesus trying to help them like own their kairos. Mm-hmm. Hey, why did you? Why do you think you doubted? Can can we talk about what just happened? Right. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a scold. Right. Right. <sighs> You idiots. Why are you doubting again? You know, when are you going to pull it together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, same uh, same that, with, uh, same with go and sin no more. Right. Go and sin no I, more. Neither do I condemn, condemn you. Go and sin no more. That can be right. read in a myriad ways. Right. Yeah. Or even the example that you brought up earlier, Jeff, of Jesus asking Peter, do you love me three times? That could be like an elaborate guilt trip. Oh, totally. You know? You know? Hey, you remember how many times you denied me? Let me ask you some questions. Yeah, I'm going to make sure yeah. you're weighed down with guilt for your entire life so that you never disobey me again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> horrible. Right. But anyway, I, I, think, I, I think this stuff is important because it helps us name the fact that we already have an imagination for how God is towards us. Yes. Right? If God is projected, if God is pictured in the Bible as a person, right? And he is, uh, uh, you know, it, we're going to have an imagination for how this person uh, relates to us so just to land the plane you know on oh, your own show i'll land your show's plane thank but, you jeff but get, like get us so out of here. the famous aw tozer uh you know he'd say the most important thing about a person is what they think about when they think about god mm-hmm. and i think attachment theory and interning internal working models they help us kind of get at that in a deeper yes. more granular level yeah, and come to terms with the fact that you know, some of those ideas didn't come from just reading the Bible and theology books. Some of those ideas came from deep-seated patterns that are pre-conscious and mm-hmm. came out of my life history. So I think that's one that's important. And then, and I don't know if it was a direct kind of quip, but like C.S. Lewis, you know, he said something, basically, the most important thing about a person is what they believe God thinks about them. And so he reverses it. It's not what I think about God, it's what God thinks about me. But that's mm-hmm. also part of the internal working model kind of process. And yes, so it's not, that doesn't right. come just from reading the Bible. 
hopefully, you yes. know, or, you know, but it, it comes through hopefully spiritual formation experiences and prayer exercises and actually like, you know, communing yeah. with Jesus. But it also comes from early, you know, and continuing kind of life patterns. And so I think this stuff really helps us understand how comp like shocker, right? How complicated all this is. Yep. Right. Yep. This is, right. this is why we need, this is why we need a, the imagination and spiritual formation. This is why we need relationships. This is why you mm-hmm. need the church. That's why yep. it's not just enough to download exactly. sermons and read your Bible alone, because we are, uh, this, we need an ecclesiology that can handle this. Mm. And we also, um, yeah, we need that. And Jeff, I appreciate your work and your yeah. friendship, uh, your podcast, your newsletter. Uh, we're going to hold you to. You just told 16 people who are listening to this <laughs> that you're going sure to have us on your podcast. Now. So uh, we're going to we're going to make sure we make that happen too. Uh, thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, and thanks for being good friends over these many years. Good to see you again, buddy. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.